Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Matthew 22, 1-14 Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened calf have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants ill-treated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, Tie him hand and foot and throw him outside, into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Uh, Put your hands up if you went to a wedding this summer. Quite a few. Keep your hands up if you got married this summer. We have one there, and there's a couple there. And put your hands up if you're getting married next week. Mimi, at the back! There we go. It's wedding season, or it's come to the end of wedding season. Getting an invite to a wedding is a big deal. Big deal, isn't it? Someone has requested your presence at their big day, and if you were invited to a wedding in COVID when the numbers are limited, there was an even greater sense of privilege. What an honor. I get invited to someone else's big day. And if you're not the family member, but you're a friend, it's an even bigger deal because you're being invited to share the joy of two families who are coming together. And a wedding invite, when you get one through the door or email and all the rest, uh, throws up a whole host of questions. Can I go? Am I free that date? Uh, Will I be able to have veggie, chicken, or fish? Uh, Who else is going? Will I know anyone else? Will I be put on the table with Uncle Bob, who's going to bore me to death, uh, that they're going to put me next to? What will I wear? A question of great concern typically to the ladies. And the men just put on the same suits as we always put on. And uh, that's how it works, isn't it? Um, Or Jesus, in one of the most famous parables, likens a kingdom of heaven to an invitation to a wedding. And not just any wedding, it's a royal wedding. We're getting invited to the wedding of of the king of kings and his son, his royal son. And when you get a royal invite to, or you get an invite to a royal wedding, well, if I ever had one, you imagine the intensity of the questions, the questions would go up. Can I go? Who else would be going? I better be wearing something nice. I'm going to be on TV. You know? Will David Beckham be there? You know, it's that kind of thing, isn't it? 
Imagine in 20th of May 2018, the Queen Elizabeth had invited you to Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's wedding. How would you have responded? Well, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like the king of the universe inviting you to the wedding of his beloved son. What an honour. And the parable raises this question for all of us and for all humanity and for all history. How will you respond to the greatest invitation of your life? And the surprise in the story is that many refuse to come. Some, for sinister reasons, they hate the king. Many, because they're just distracted. And we end with that mysterious last line from Jesus. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Before we go into the parable in detail, let me put things in context. In Matthew 21, beforehand, Matthew 23, afterwards, this parable, Jesus is in dialogue, often heated, with Israel's leaders. And uh, he's coming into Jerusalem in Matthew 21 as the humble king into the city of the great king, Jerusalem, to be welcomed as king by all the children, all the people came out on the streets and the palm branches. He was the king of Israel coming in. But as the king came into the temple, he found it to be defiled with greedy moneymakers. Israel was not producing fruit. It had become corrupt, and that corruption was shown most devastatingly in the actual temple where God was supposed to dwell. So to illustrate what's happening, the next morning as Jesus comes back into Jerusalem, he curses a fig tree that's not bearing any fruit, and the fig tree withers and dies, as if to say, that fig tree represents my people, Israel. They are my chosen people, but they are bearing no fruit, and judgment is about to come upon them. And so we read what many commentators, some commentators say, is the summary verse of the book of Matthew. What's the book of Matthew about? This is what some people say. Therefore I tell you, this is after this whole episode with the fig tree and all the rest. Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, the Jews, and be given to a people, the Gentiles, who will produce fruit. He's referring from the kingdom going from just Jewish people to everyone who now, by faith, produces fruit, Jews and non-Jews. What happens next? Well, it's obvious what happens next. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parable, they knew what? He was talking about them. And they looked for a way to arrest him. But they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. You see, they knew that Jesus was talking about them and saying, you're unfruitful, you're not living up to what it is to be God's people, certainly not God's leaders. And so they say to Jesus, and you can read the whole dialogue, there's a big section of dialogue, they, you know, by what authority are you doing these things? How can you say things like that, they say to him. And Jesus tells a parable to explain it, the parable of the wedding banquet. What's happening? And in the parable, we're going to see two stages of history. Verses 1 to 7 is Israel's history. And we're going to see Israel's failure to respond correctly to the king. Verses 8 to 14, we're going to see world history and the opportunity for everyone to respond correctly to the invitation to the royal son's wedding. Verses 1 to 7 is going to end with a devastating moment in verse 7 where Jesus is going to prophesy the destruction of Jerusalem at the hands of the Romans. I recently went to Rome. There's an Arc de Triomphe there to Emperor Titus who in AD 70 marched his Roman troops into Jerusalem, razed the city to the ground, destroyed the temple, stole the treasures in the temple, took about 15,000 Jewish slaves back into Rome. And what did he do with them? And what did he do with the money and the people? 
So my tour guide told me he built the Colosseum. We're going to see verse 7. Jesus prophesied this moment where the Jewish people were going to be judged for failing to bear fruit in AD 70 at the hands of the Romans. Verses 8 to 14 are about the rest of history and the New Testament people of God and the mission of the church and the the gospel going out and the invitation of the king going to all the world to come to the royal son's wedding. And the invitation again is to respond correctly. But sadly, there's going to be so many individuals on judgment day, they're going to find that they are speechless, verse 12. AD 70 was devastating for the Jews. Judgment Day is going to be far more devastating for many people who scorn the king's invitation. The first coming of Christ, Israel was exposed. The parable says, don't be exposed at the second coming. Make sure you're ready. Israel wasn't. They weren't bearing fruit, are you? That's the point of the parable. It has six acts. Let's start. Acts, Act 1, verses 1 to 3. The initial invite and the initial refusal. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. We're not told why they refused, but they refused. And it's a big deal not to, to accept an invitation to, uh, to, a, to, to a wedding. It's, it shames the person that invites you. Someone had prepared food and counted on your attendance. Refusal would have shamed the king. Then we have Act 2, the stronger invitation and the stronger rejection. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who've been invited that I've prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fattened cattle, and even uh, butchered, and everything is ready, has been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. This time we get extra details. Jesus is trying to make the point that we're not invited to a funeral. There's a fattened calf. This is a feast. This is, there's joy in the house of God. There's an amazing thing. At the, you're all invited to something wonderful. There's extra lengths that we are told the king has gone to to make everything, what? Ready for you to come in. And so don't miss what this tells us about the heart of God. As humanity rejects the refusal of the king, he comes back again and again and again and says, come in now. Humanity rejects him again. He says, come in now. And this part, all those servants that are coming in the parable, it says, then he said to some more servants, that's the Old Testament prophets. He kept sending prophets. And he kept sending prophets. He keeps coming. He says, come in. God wants to woo us with the delights of the feast that are on offer in his kingdom. And it's in the second invite that we start to hear some of the excuses. Verse 5 and 6, but they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants and mistreated them and killed them. There's two responses. You see verse 5, verse 6, two different types of refusals. My PowerPoint's a bit wrong here. Verse 5 is the distracted, and verse 6 is the sinister. We might say the people that reject him first are distracted by the things of this world. Why don't they come to the great banquet of the royal wedding? A field field, a field, my career, my house, my bank account. And these things, a field needs tending. Of course a field needs tending, particularly in ancient times when you lived off the field. It's not a bad thing, it's a, but a field? And we better hear that for ourselves. We look at that and go, they didn't come because of a fear. And he says, yeah, you're not coming because you're too busy 
building your own career. You're too busy with your own comfort. You're too with worldly pursuits. These are legitimate pursuits. In other words, the people who reject the invite are not pursuing evil things. They're pursuing a field. The people who you know, are not just going after really horrible things, they're going after good things that have become too important things, and therefore they're blocking their ears to the invitation. As one person put it, a person can be so busy making a living that they fail to make a life, and Jesus says they're going to fail to make eternal life. But they've got a living. They've got a big bank account. They look impressive in the world's eyes, and they've missed the invitation. Why do people not come into the wedding banquet? A field, a business, a house, a career, money, worldly preoccupations, dabbling with Jesus, one foot in, one foot out, too busy, too distracted. Matthew 13, the parable of the soils, the third soil, why doesn't it become fruitful? The worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. So the first don't come in because they're distracted. And our modern culture is probably the most distracted culture that has ever lived. Our phones never stop buzzing. Instagram scrolling can go on forever. The Premier League app can constantly tell you the latest score. There's some other clever thing, and it's just constant. The relentless noise of social media, newsfeed, WhatsApp message, Netflix, everything else, news updates, alongside the modern preoccupation, particularly in Dublin, cities of the world, to succeed, to prove yourself, to show you're someone. And you feel that pressure, and there's a buzzing going off in your pocket every two minutes, and you feel this We are the most distracted culture that's ever lived, ever, in the history of the world. We are more likely to be this group of people than the ones in a minute that want to kill the king. We, We miss the wedding banquet because we're distracted with our fields. Now, the second group is more sinister, If the first group had mixed priorities, the second group were aggressive and rebellious. This is referring to the persecution of many of the Old Testament prophets who were killed by the Jewish leaders. When God sent the prophets to bring the word of God, uh, they killed them. And that continued for the next three or four decades after Jesus' returned to heaven. The early church was persecuted by who? The Jewish leaders. Saul famously was going to Damascus wanting to kill and imprison Christians. There is an unremitting hostility towards Jesus from Israel's leaders, and there is an unremitting hostility towards the church in its mission. Not here in Ireland, praise God, but there's brothers and sisters around the world who couldn't meet in a place like this and sing songs as loudly as we sang them. This week I was chatting to a friend who leads an Iranian congregation in Dublin, and he coaches these Iranian churches, and God is amazing at work in Iran, bringing revival. And he says, he coaches him, and he has one house church on one screen, another house church on another screen, and another house church on another screen. Why? Because just in case if one house church gets found out by the government, it wouldn't lead to the other two. This is what the parable is saying. There are times when God's people are are treated with hostility. And so we reach the the conclusion, Act 3, verse 7, the judgment of unfruitful Israel. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. AD 70, the Romans come in and destroy the city of Jerusalem. And so we move from Israel's history and Israel's failure to respond correctly to the king's invitation to the church's history and your responsibility to respond to the king's invitation. Act 4, the invite to anyone and everyone. 
Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited didn't, did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and go to the banquet and invite anyone. You only get into this banquet if you realize you weren't on the original guest list and you don't deserve to be there and you're just an anyone. They're the only people that get in. I'm just an anyone. I'm not that impressive. Worldly credentials. This is how, this is how my work thinks of me. This is how my friends think of me. This is how my sport thinks No, no, you're an anyone in the kingdom. You're not impressive. The kingdom is upside down. Hence, while the world's poor, we see the church going crazy with revival. And the world's rich, we see the church shrinking. Because people kind of accept they're just anyone's. They want to bring all their stature and all their impression. No, 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 no. You get in because you realize, I wasn't even on the guest list. And it's only now that they found anyone. I get an invite. And I'm humble enough to go, yeah, I'm an anyone. So the servants went. This is talking about New Testament evangelists. The gospel going out in the New Testament church. So the servants went out in the streets and gathered all the people they could find. Who? The bad, as well as the good. Those that look morally good, I live a respectable life. And those that clearly don't have a respectable life. He says, anyone now, come invite them in. And the wedding hall has to be filled. And so we have a picture of the church's mission, inviting anyone and everyone, the good as well as the bad, to fill God's wedding banquet for that final day. In other words, the kingdom is for the humble, not the proud, for those that realize they are not worthy and should not have been invited. Those that thought they were worthy, the Jewish leaders are out, and those that thought they were unworthy, the prostitutes and sinners find that they're in. In Matthew 19, who's in? Not the rich young ruler, the little children. In Matthew 21, who gets it? Not the disciples, they're blind. Who, who gets it? The two blind men. They get it. The humble. Luke 23, who gets it? The bad, the thief on the cross, who knows he's made a big mess of his life. The kingdom is not for the likely people, the impressive, the well-credentialed, the ones the world esteems. And so we move to the person who assumes they're in and finds to their horror that they are out. Act 5, the awful exposure of wearing the wrong wedding clothes. Verses 11 and 12. My PowerPoint's faulty, excuse me. When the king came, verses 11 and 12, to see the guests, he noticed there a man who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. At university, I was invited to a party where everyone knew that it was just a normal party, but one guy was told it was fancy dress. And this guy loved fancy dress. And he went to town. He came as a farmer. He had a pillow under his thing. He had chickens. I mean, it was amazing. And we were all there. knew he was coming at 8. We were there at 7.30, all dressed like me. And he walks in, and it, he was the laugh of the party, and he was big enough for the laugh, and it was great. There'll be no laughing on the day of the king's banquet if you're wearing the wrong clothes. Verse 12 says, you will be speechless. So what are the wrong wedding clothes that expose you? Verse 11 and 12. There's been great debate for 2,000 years by all kinds of commentators from all spectrum of churches. And there's two big schools of thought. What are the wrong clothes that you don't want to be in on the great day of this, the royal son's wedding? The first interpretation says that the wedding clothes represent the gift of righteousness. We by ourselves could never be righteous before God through our works and therefore you're only included in the great wedding banquet if through faith 
You accept your sin and receive a righteousness from outside of yourself. You are passive and it is given to you by Christ, his perfect life for your sinful life. I think there's much to commend in this interpretation because those with the wrong clothes, like the Israel's leaders, say, well, we've lived a good life, so we deserve to be in. And they find, no, no, it was through faith, not works, that you're in. As Isaiah said, all of our righteous acts are filthy acts. None of us deserve it. None of us are fit for God's presence. And so the wedding clothes represent the gift of righteousness to get into the wedding, and you are passive as you receive them through faith in the work of Christ on your behalf. Interpretation one of the wedding clothes. Option two is, it's the fruit of righteousness. The demonstrate one is the true believer. So the righteousness is not passive, given to us, but active. It's our moral obedience to life lived for the king. So the wedding garments demonstrate a life of love in service of God. As John the Baptist says in Matthew 3, I just read it this morning in my morning devotions. He's speaking to the leaders of Israel, and he says, Keep fruit, uh, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit then, show that you're God's people by the way you live. And there's much to commend with that interpretation. Notice all the wedding guests, good and bad, get in, despite what they're wearing. So the garments are not required to be invited or to get in, but they are necessary to stay in. You can be in and then be asked to leave. So everyone is invited regardless of what you're wearing. We all come in our sin and our failure, and we need that righteousness given to us. But to stay in, we must wear the right clothes and prove our faith by newness of life. And I think this is what Matthew wants to emphasize. Israel had failed to bear fruit. They'd assumed salvation was in the bag. They'd stopped living holy lives for God. There was corruption right in the heart of the temple. And in this section of Matthew's gospel, Jesus tells lots of these parables to caution against false security. If you're in the kingdom, does your life look like it's in the kingdom? If not, don't say, well, I prayed the sinner's prayer once. No. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So which interpretation is correct? Well, imputed righteousness or moral righteousness? Passive righteousness given to us or active that we live out in light of our faith? I think Matthew would say, well, it's both, isn't it? As we receive God's imputed righteousness, a gift of Christ's life given to us, his righteousness in our mess, that motivates us to live up to the standard that he's given us and the calling he's given us. Not as a basis for our standing before God, none of us are good enough, but as a response to what he's done. And the gift of the Holy Spirit moves us to want to be holy. But where the desire to be holy is lacking, where there is carelessness or presumption, if we ever take God and his cross and his son lightly, where there's immoral living that you know is not what God wants, the parable says there's a grave warning for you Don't say you have salvation in the bag and then live differently. Though entry to God's salvation is free for all, the standards are there and it's not to be taken lightly. Israel's leaders made that mistake. May we not make it, is what the parable is saying. So Matthew believes not just that wooing, Jesus comes and comes and comes to us, but warning can make disciples. And so we come to Acts 6, the awful judgment of being excluded forever. Then the king told the attendant, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If the destruction of the temple at the hands of the Roman Emperor Titus was devastating for the Jews in AD 70, it is only a small picture of how devastating it will be for all those who do not respond correctly to the king's invite 
on Judgment Day. Israel was unprepared at the first coming. How terrible it will be for those who are unprepared at the second coming. We'll be cast out. We'll be excluded. We'll be on the outside. We'll be banished. We'll never be invited back in. We'll be in darkness. There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus never softens how awful judgment will be. Never. And what is judgment? To be cast out of the presence of God forever. And remember on that day, everyone in the, in the wrong clothes will be what, verse 12? Speechless. There'll be no miscarriage of justice. There'll be no one able to raise a defense. There'll be no one says it's unfair. This side of heaven, we go, oh, well, it's not fair. And when I get there, I'm going to say, no one will say anything before the righteous judge of all the earth who's done what is right. We'll be speechless as we acknowledge that he is judging rightly. And notice how personal in my translation in verse 12, it says, friend. Awful words, friend. In other words, everyone is going to get a personal encounter with Jesus on Judgment Day, every individual in history. We often think, well, what about the mentally handicapped? Or what about those who haven't heard? Or what about babies? Or what about, what about those living in a jungle? Or what about those before Jesus? And in our sense of justice, we assume there's going to be a miscarriage of justice. In our wisdom, we assume God's going to get it wrong. On Judgment Day, when Jesus returns, those that are in the wrong garments will be speechless and they'll be given a personal judgment and they will know that. J.C. Ryle, an old commentator on this passage, said this, There is nothing lacking on God's part of salvation of sinners' souls. No one will be ever, ever be able to say that it's God's fault they were not saved. The Father is ready to love and receive. The Son is ready to pardon and cleanse guilt away. The Spirit is ready to sanctify and renew. Angels are ready to rejoice over the returning sinner. Grace is ready to assist. The Bible is ready to instruct. Heaven is ready to be the everlasting home. Only one thing is needed, and that is the sinner must be willing and ready themselves. God will be found clear of the blood of all souls. The gospel places an open door before all humankind. No one is excluded from its range of offers. Though few enter, everyone is invited. And Ryle says, but let's not miss what the parable's about. It's written for the church. The parable is a warning to the church. There are those inside the church that dishonor God. We cannot just casually walk in and assume we're sorted. We must actively respond and receive Christ day by day. And so the question comes to each of us today. Have we or have we not got on the wedding clothes? Have we put on Christ? That is the grand question that arises out of the parable. And so the mysterious conclusion is not so mysterious. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Many are invited. God's gracious invitation went out in the Old Testament. It goes out in the New Testament. It goes out every time the gospel is preached. There's an invite to to turn up to the royal son's wedding. But few are chosen. What can that mean? It must mean that few respond to the call and reveal themselves to be God's true people, chosen people, Israel. Once you get rid of all the excuses, all the distractions, all the rebellious, all those who have not shown their faith through their good works, it's only a few who are revealed to be God's chosen people. So we could say none are excluded except those that exclude themselves. How do I know if I'm chosen by God? Respond in faith to what he's done for you in Christ and then live a life of love as he calls you to. So there's a balance between divine choice and human choice. Who chooses who? Does God choose me or do I choose him? Yes, yes, both, both. The parable says this time it's emphasizing human responsibility 
to make sure you show yourself to be chosen. Each of us must decide how we respond to the king's invitation with repentance and faith and a life of good works, not as the grounds of our salvation, but as a demonstration of it. We cannot earn our salvation, but we can spurn it. So two applications as we finish today, and then we come to the table to take the bread and the wine. Firstly, there is a moment today to examine yourself. Have I put on Christ today? Have I responded in faith to Christ and what he's done for me? If you've never done that, hear the warning of the parable about how it's going to end. There's an invite now. But if you have done that, don't go, I did it once and it's okay, I'll just rest on my laurels. Respond again today, repentance, faith, and a life of good works. If you know you're dabbling one foot in and one foot out today, Jesus says, don't do that. Commit to Christ and commit to his people. At Renew, we say, I commit to Christ, I commit to his church, and I commit to his mission. But secondly, just a final application. Why do we plant churches? We've lost 30, 40 people from this congregation this morning. We, we feel the loss. It's different, isn't it? Why do we do it? Not just because we're growing in number, but I think it's there, isn't it? Verse 9. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. We're not a holy huddle here. We're called to go and be those servants and gather in those that don't know, the good and the bad, anyone who is willing to respond in faith. I was chatting to a friend recently. He's a lecturer at UCD, and he's, got, he's in his 50s, and he's got some friends that are starting to die. And uh, they meet for a drink regularly, and he was telling me about this time, and one had cancer, and you know things, and, and they suddenly realise that they're going to die soon. They're in their fifties, yeah? and he said, "I don't think they're ready." And, he, and I said, "Well, what do you think?" And he's a Christian. I said, "What do you think uh, Irish people think happens after you die?" And he goes, "Most of them don't really think about it, but they assume it's going to be okay." And we need to go and tell them, "No, no, no! You need to respond and receive eternal life through faith in Christ." So may we be a church that goes and goes and goes and goes to find those that we can pull into the wedding banquet for that final day. Let's take a moment, as the parable encourages us to, I think, to examine ourselves and to consider, have we put on Christ this day? Father, we thank you for your great invitation. We thank you for the story of salvation all the way through from Abraham onwards where you kept sending people with your message to call people into the kingdom, to call people to the great wedding banquet. And Lord, we look at that and we look at Israel and go, oh, they, they, couldn't, they couldn't receive the king. They messed it up, but we're not like them. And the parable says, well, let's be careful we're not like them. Mm-hmm. So Lord, help us today, humble us, that we might examine our lives, not with a sense of panic, but a sense of sincerity. Have we responded in faith in to Christ and what he's done and have we living out that faith by the way we live our lives and that we as a church and particularly this central congregation will be people that we don't take ourselves seriously we take you very seriously in what you've done for us you're not to be treated lightly and we take this gospel message and mandate to go out as your servants and bring anyone in 
that we take that seriously. So Lord, as we come to respond and we take the bread and the wine and we think about that idea of renewing, help us to examine, help us to consider those areas where you want to just come in and bring your light into our darkness. And for any here, Father, that don't know you, may they hear your gracious invitation to them personally through repentance and faith to receive the invite, of the, to accept the invite of their King. In Jesus' name, amen.